Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware. The shark bait has such teeth there, and it shows them pearly white. Just a jackknife has old Maggie Heath, babe, and it keeps it out of sight. So welcome everybody to another episode of Macklin's Take. This is episode number 74, I believe, with myself, Andy Clark and Matt Macklin. Hope everybody's well and I hope you're enjoying the boxing that's coming your way at the moment because we are very much now back in the thick of things. We've had two weeks of fight camp and the main events on both of those have been, well, they've lived up to the hype. They've been really, really good fights. BT and Frank Warren are keeping their shows going. It's week three of Fight Camp on Friday night. One I'm particularly looking forward to because it'll be my first one. I'll be dying to get involved in the action. Cole Frampton fights on, uh, on Saturday night as well. And our two guests today, they will be very much looking forward to Friday night too because trainer and fighter, they are involved in what is a huge, huge fight for them against Zelfa Barrett. So we will get to that towards the latter part of the podcast, but I'm going to be fairly self-indulgent with, with this one because what we found over the course of doing this is that stories and conversations about amateur days often produce the most interesting points of discussion, shall we say. Uh, and these two bring to the table a welter of international amateur vests and titles and medals and experience more than we've ever had on the podcast before they really have been there and done everything they've been all over the world with boxing and I'm sure it'll be an interesting kind of trot down down memory lane for for all four of us but for for the two of them hopefully and in case you hadn't guessed we're joined by Eric Donovan and Kenny Egan gentlemen thanks very much for doing this who were both perfectly on time this this was a Macklin's take record by two o'clock all four of us were up and ready to rumble Macklin is always very punctual I'll, I'll have to give him that but but the other two Kenny and Eric you were you were spot on as well so um Eric first of all how uh how are you how are you feeling just a few days to go I'm very good Andy yeah thanks for having us on the uh on the podcast uh, I've listened to uh Macklin's take uh several times and it's a very good uh podcast that you guys are producing so um delighted to be involved um also delighted to have this opportunity to box on sky sports it's a major platform i've been watching the fight camp for the last two weeks so i'm really excited i think it's a 
It's um, it's a spectacular uh, event. The background, the just the whole kind of circumstances surrounding it, the lockdown, the no crowd. It's a very unique situation, and um, it's one that I'm absolutely relishing. And for many, well, for a long time in my career, I thought maybe I missed the boat, you know, and uh, I thought I might have, um, because I did retire, you know, um, and I thought it was the end of the road for me. But I resurrected my boxing career, made some personal changes, and turned my life around. And here I am now, standing on the verge of a top 15 world ranking title fight and um and i'm ready i'm fully prepared i've ticked every box and there is absolutely no excuses this is the biggest opportunity of my life and i am so ready for it in every sense of the word so i can't wait one thing that's really interested me looking at the whole the whole setup of it is that in a lot of ways it occurred to me that somebody with a a top international amateur career behind them the conditions of it might suit them better because I, I've been to a lot of international tournaments, world championships and Euros and, and the like. And what you have is a very, very high standard of competition, but often there's not really anybody there. You don't really have the buzz of the crowd to feed off. Um, I wouldn't say you were quarantined at international tournaments, but depending on where you are, it's not far off that sometimes because they don't really want you to go too far afield and things are very are very unfamiliar. Um, have you kind of got that sense from watching it that this is certainly not something that's going to bother you one bit? No, it's definitely not going to bother me one bit. Um, there's a couple of obvious things like that you need to remember. First of all, it's a fight. It's a big fight. The rewards are extremely high. Um, you've got an opponent in the other corner who's prepared very, very hard and who wants to take your head off, you know? Um, and so if you can't get up for that fight, then there's something seriously wrong with you. But yeah, going back to my um, boxing career, my amateur career, we would have, would have had, would have boxed in many big arenas that would have been fairly, fairly empty, you know, not at least until the medal stages anyway, it would have been fairly empty, but it would have been high level fights. And then the training camps we would have had in, in Ukraine and Russia and France and Germany, during these training camps, we'd often have test matches, which would be only in front of a handful of people. But you'd be boxing at a, at a very high level. Um, so I've stepped up in high level fights without any kind of big crowds or audiences around, uh, you know, many times during my career. And this is going to be no different. Kenny, what, what have you made a fight camp from the outside looking in so far? Yeah, it's 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 an interesting concept now, and fair play to Eddie Ahern for getting this up and running. Because as you as you know yourself, since the COVID pandemic, boxing has been on its knees and ready to step up with this this plan, this this brainchild. It's been fantastic, and I've been watching the two weekends of boxing. It's been fantastic for you. It's loads of great fifty fifties. But I think what Eric said there is very true, and I'm on the same boat as Eric. We've boxed all over the world in in big stadiums, small stadiums, where there'd be a handful of people in the crowd and you're in against European and World Olympic champions. So it doesn't really matter what happens outside the four corners of a boxing ring. You know, once you step in there and that bell rings, Zelfa won't have his 100,000 100, followers or fans in the ring with him. It's just Eric and Zelfa, one-on-one, game plan against game plan, tactics against tactics, and the, you know, and the best man win. And we're going to keep it that simple. We're going to simplify it to, you know, to that level. We're not going to make any... any, any you know, we're not going to make it real complex for ourselves. This is going to be very basic, very simple. We're going to stick to a game plan and try and execute that game plan on fight night. 
But it is a fantastic setup, and it's great that boxing is back on on mainstream TV. Um, and and you know, it's letting people know that boxing is still alive, uh, and and it's going well. You know, as you say, it's 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 the it's the fight really that the pair of you have been have been waiting for. Uh, and just to fill people in just a little bit on on those amateur backgrounds um, and Eric's pro background, he's undefeated as a professional, twelve fights, twelve wins. Uh, this is a step up for him. But in terms of the amateur experience, there's there's a whole wealth of that. You went to three world championships, uh, medaled at the European Championships. The only thing really missing was was an Olympic Games. Uh, Travelled all over the world, multiple national titles. Yourself, you went through world championships, medaled at two Euros, and then the high point, of course, being the silver medal at the at the Beijing Olympics in 2008. So, obviously, you were international teammates um, for a spell so just tell us how this relationship as as fighter and trainer how did that start so i i obviously I, i'm a little bit older than eric um and he came onto the team at the high performance team so that was fantastic i seen him coming through so paul like myself very slick count the puncher very very clever in the ring um and i just talked to eric the two of us talked together because we had the same personalities and we were two devils back in the day you know and um, we grew up the mischief together we had we boxed together we traveled together uh, we were good together and we were bad together and we're still here today on this planet together, which is fantastic and amazing. But to get the opportunity now, like we are, like a coach and a boxer, to, you know, to come together over the last two and a half, three years, it's. I think it was meant to be, you know. And like, I, I'm not here to change Eric in any way. Like, he has the skills and he has the IQ to be a very, very high, high-ranked fighter on the planet. Just fine-tuning small things that I'd like to see him do. That's all I'm doing, and I'm there for him and helping him out in any way I can. But the relationship is very, very strong. And it, it goes just outside the boxer-coach relationship, you know, where we're really, really good friends outside of that. And that's very unique in itself. Um, like I said, we've been all over the world together, multi-nations, uh, travelled the world together for a decade, if you like. Um, um, and I know Eric inside out, and he knows me inside out. I think that's going to be a very, very strong thing to have in the corner on Friday night. And Matt, this is one of the things that, that really interests me about this this pairing, basically, of, of these two, because you don't often see this, basically, a fighter and a trader not that far apart in age who were former international teammates who, who know each other so well from being boxers, not just through that relationship as, as fighter and trainer. I'm not sure if I can really think of another one currently quite like it. Hey, everybody, sitting here with a famous Slovenian philosopher. How are you doing, sir? I am uh, in hell, thank you. Are you uh, excited about something? I am excited about this latest uh, CIA-funded venture. A CIA venture? Yes, it's called the Desire and Capital Podcast. Oh, what is it about? I refuse your fascist question. Well, there you have it. Listen to the Desiring Capital podcast coming soon to a bourgeois platform near you. On your marks, get set, go. Well, I can't think of one currently off the top of my head either, but it's uh, it's definitely a positive. You know, um, Kenny will know Eric inside out, upside down. Not just what his technical abilities, what his strengths are, what his weaknesses are, but what makes him tick. He'll know if he's feeling good or he's feeling bad. He'll be able to read him like a book. And um, I think successful boxer trainer relationships do go way beyond 
the, the, the boxer fighter relationship. It's more of a mentor role. And now Kenny's probably not old enough to be a mentor, you know, because Eric, they're not that far in age. They came kind of through together. But, you know, he, he's a little bit older. He would have been a bit more senior. He was on the team before he went into it. So I'm pretty sure Eric at some stage in his career before they became buddies getting into mischief together would have looked up to Kenny. So, and it, Kenny excelled as an amateur. Like he, I thought he was unlucky enough to get the gold in, in Beijing. So Eric will definitely have a massive respect for Kenny and he'll, and he'll know that Kenny cares about him. You know, he goes, which that might sound like a given, but it's not always a given in boxing. You know, sometimes a boxer relationship, it, it can be a bit of a mercenary role if they don't have that time to build a relationship. These two are friends way beyond boxing. So, you know, he'll, they're very much on this journey together. And, you know, I think that's um, that's a real strength that Eric has coming into this fight and, and in his career. But I think that um, the fact that they come together as well from the same school, the background, they'll they'll see boxing in the same kind of way. And that might, again, sound like a simple thing. But, you know, I, I train with a few different trainers and people's outlook and perspective can be different. Like Billy Graham very much seen uh, boxing as a, back the guy up, be strong, take the centre of the ring. Woody McGirt was the opposite. He's seen it as, you know, move on the outside, keep your offset and your opponent, keep them turning, you know, box his head off. They've seen it from different, from let's say different lenses. They were looking through different lenses. They'll be looking through the same lens. So whatever, whatever Kenny says to Eric, he won't need to go into my detail, little words, and he'll know what he means. Um, this is a good fight on, on Saturday night, you know, South of Barrett. It's, it's quite interesting. We talk about, you have your amateur pedigree, the guys that went to the Olympics or, or, or whatever, won world championships that turn professional and have the pedigree. And everyone has certain expect, expectations of what level they'll reach. Then you'll have guys from that might turn pro 18 that maybe weren't as good at amateur, decent amateurs, maybe got beat in the national finals, semifinals. You know, Josh Warrington never won a national title, but he's, he's excelled as a professional. He's tough. He, he fights at an unbelievable pace. You know what I mean? There's different things. Then there's guys in Mexico that turn pro at 14 and they learn the pro way. You know, Eric's very much went away from boxing. I don't know his whole story, but I know a little bit. Now he's come back. You don't you don't forget what you've learned, but you have to kind of get it back and, and, and pick up on it again. Now he's, he's undefeated. His opposition have been modest, we'll say. But that, that can often be as well because of many things. Maybe they couldn't make the fights, the budgets, you know, travel, whatever. But he won't forget his IQ, his boxing IQ, his technical. He's well-schooled, you know, and then you got Zappa Barrett, who's younger. He's he's fresher, let's say, in that sense. But although Derek doesn't really have miles on the clock in terms of hard fights. So it, 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 this is an intriguing fight. You know, most people, a lot of people in, say, in England here watching the box won't know that much about Eric. I do because he's not that much younger than me. And I remember him coming through in the amateurs because even though I turned professional, I still some of my friends were still boxing amateurs, so you still keep an eye on it. This is a good fight. One that I, probably this is the fight I'm probably most looking forward to next week. So we'll return to that that particular contest towards towards the end. But let's let, let's rewind. Let's rewind and and go back to kind of the beginning, really, to when you two, Kenny and Eric, when you got into when you got into boxing, because amateur bo- boxing for me, I think it's, I just think it's the most amazing thing in, in a way that other amateur sport, it's not the same as other amateur sports. You put the word amateur in front of boxing and it, and it means something, it means something different. And 
there's an advert that runs over here and, and has been for a while now, and it's it's uh, it's for the Royal Navy. And basically, what happens is is that it's a kind of first person narrative told by by a young guy um, who always seems to be from the northeast. I don't, I don't know why that is, but he always seems to be from the northeast. Uh, and it's about him growing up in a small town where opportunities were maybe limited and your horizons were, were fairly narrow and you're wondering what you're going to do with your life. And then he joins the Navy and then there's shots of him all around the world swimming with dolphins and doing all sorts of stuff. Uh, and he says, I could never have imagined doing this and I never would have done it were it not for the fact that, that I made this move, I made this step and, and, and you know, I joined, I joined the Navy. Anyway, whenever I see that advert, I think of amateur boxing. I think of international amateur boxing immediately because what it does is it takes young men and women not everybody's from a small town, but I, I speak to a lot of people who, who say, I could never have imagined the places that I ended up going with boxing when I was a kid. If you told me that it would happen, I would have thought you were totally insane. Uh, and that's, that's for me, what it's, what it's kind of all about. And I mean, you're from a big place. You're from Dublin, Kenny. Um, Eric, where you're from, slightly, slightly smaller, I believe. But could you ever have imagined when you started, Eric, that you know the the road that that boxing has taken you on. I know there have been some lows. The road that boxing has is, is, is taken you on. Yeah, without a doubt, you'd never dream of the experiences that I ended up having. Um, I mean, boxing, and a lot of people would say this: boxing was my education in life because in a lot of in a lot of areas in in around Ireland, anyway, boxing is seen like a, it's a working class sport but in in some areas it's a disadvantaged sport you know you would never see like boxing next door to the rugby clubs or to the ga clubs it's normally around the council estates or the disadvantaged areas and where i was when i grew up in a thai in county Kildare, school wasn't really very important in my life there was no real emphasis or importance put onto my school and work or um to my academic skills and and um so I struggled in school, but, but I excelled in the boxing club, you know, and even as a young kid, I was 11 years of age, 12, 13, three, four times All-Ireland champion, you know, not really very good in school, didn't have great grades, but yeah, I was the champion of my country and the captain of my country as well at such a young age and traveling around the world. Like, and I was thinking that like, I'm going to like boxing's going to give me so much because at that age it was so easy for me I was beating everybody I was beating older people heavier people I was literally just excelling on an unbelievable level but then I hit 15 I hit 15 years of age and then I started kind of getting involved with the wrong people making mistakes dabbling in drink and drugs and then boxing became uncool you know the running the roads became uncool uh, turning up to the gym every night became uncool. Hanging around with the lads and the girls in the alleyways, this is what now I had discovered and this is what I thought I was missing out on all my life. And I was very lucky to have a good amateur coach. We talk about mentor, Matthew was talking about mentorship and father figures and there's so many of them in the boxing world. And my coach, he followed me, and I'm not joking with you, if I had to say he'd called to my house a hundred times during my career, that would not even be an exaggeration. And he kept calling back. Every time I'd go away from the club, he'd call back and call back and call back. And he'd sit down and he'd spend an hour. And I'd be, I could be offloaded to him. I'd be saying, like, I'm sick of boxing. I have enough of boxing. I gave him enough of my life to boxing. I'm, I'm doing this. And, you know, 
And I'd be just basically throwing all my ties out of the pram. You know, I'd be making the bad, making the wrong decisions and wrong choices. But he knew. He knew exactly how, what I was doing. And he'd say stuff to me like, Eric, them, the guys that you're hanging around with, like they're not going to have your back. You know, when that bell goes in the ring, you're on your own. These don't give a damn about you, you know, and stuff like that. And to be fair to him, he held me up until I actually believed in myself. And he was a real kind of a, almost like a psychologist in his in his way of talking to people. He's a great listener and he was great at motivating you because when he'd leave the house, he'd say stuff like, you're gifted and you can go to the Olympics and, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And when he'd leave the house, you'd be back up shadow boxing in the mirror, you know, because he had that effect on you. And you'd be back in the club the next week. But he'd done that time and time again. But thankfully, I was eventually able to see what he could see myself. And then, you know, I kind of, he navigated me or held me up and helped me to navigate out that mess. But that mess went on for about 10 years um, until I was about 26 years of age, really, you know. So, um, but look, I'm still here, still, still standing and, um, and still winning at life. And, and, and I always, all I ever wanted to do, I used to say to myself when I was retired that time, I retired at 27, going on 28, and I came back, just turned professional before my 31st birthday. But during that retirement, I used to have terrible amount of regrets. And I was like, I wish I, wish I was able to do this, or I, sh- I wish, I wonder what would have happened if I, if I gave up this stuff earlier if I committed you know for longer and just I had so many regrets and what ifs and um that's that's why I came back and it was just like too many unanswered questions and all I ever wanted was a shot at the big time with no excuses and now I have it a shot at the big time with no excuses that's it so I'll just fill everybody in a little bit on um on the timeline there so when Eric retired when he hung them up after a very successful amateur career, that would have been 2013 after, after you boxed for the Astana Islands in, in WSB. Now people who, who listen to Magnus take will know about WSB. It, it, it's no longer with us, sadly. It's unbelievably good competition. God, I loved it. You know, I, I've commentated on it for four or five seasons finals and it was just tremendous. And Kind of your final hurrah in it, really, was boxing for the Astana Arlands against the Ukraine Ottomans uh, and winning a razor-thin match. Now, check this out. For the Ukraine Ottomans, in their team was Vasily Lomachenko, Oleksandr Rusik and Oleksandr Gavorstik. The Astana Arlands names wouldn't be as familiar to boxing fans unless they're very dedicated Aiba boxing fans because not as many of them turn pro uh, and they're not the names that uh, the other three that I've just mentioned but the Astana Arlands won. That's the team that Eric was in. He was in a team that beat those guys. They might have won their individual bouts, but they won. I mean, what was it like spending that time? I've been to Kazakhstan a couple of times. What was it like boxing for the Astana Arlands? It was amazing. It was unbelievable. Like, at the, at, for the first eight weeks, it was so tough. Like, I was literally finding it very, very difficult and inspiring and I didn't realize that, like, when I was going out there, I was, wasn't in the best of shape. And I was thinking, sure, look, I'm going to box for them. They're my, going to be my teammates. So it's not going to be that bad. They'll help me to get in shape. We'll work together as teammates. How wrong was I? I was boxing for, with, with a team. Some, of the, some guys were from the poorest countries in the world. 
and every one of them was vying for position and jostling, trying to get, trying to get selected to get to fight. Because when you won, you got prize money, and when you lost, not so good prize money. You know what I mean? So everyone wanted to get picked so they could get money and send it back home. And for the first eight weeks out there, it was absolutely grueling, torture. I was nearly, I was plotting my escape. I said, I gotta get out. <laughs> said, I, I gotta get out of here. I said, I may, you know, geez, but 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 I rang a good friend of mine back home, you know, and I was talking about. He knew how important it was for me going out in the first place. And then I was telling him about. I was making up excuses basically about the language barrier, the food, the, they're not picking me to fight. I wouldn't pick me to fight either because I wasn't performing, inspiring or whatever. And then my friend said, Eric, he's a good friend of mine. He's a kind of a mentor, like, you know, and he goes, Eric, you're like, you're saying, you're, listen, he goes, I'm hearing a hell of a lot of excuses from you. And I wasn't happy when he said that. And he said, honestly, Eric, you don't have to explain yourself to me. If you want to come home, come home. But you only have to ask yourself one question. Will you regret it? That's the only question you have to answer. Forget about everything else. And then I said, okay, leave it with me. And I knew I would regret it because I was, I was already thinking of what would I tell people when I go home? I'll tell them about the food, the money, whatever. So anyways, once I, just, once I, I put my hands up and I, I, I had to admit I was struggling. So you can't change something. You can't, if, you, if you don't see your problem, you can't do anything about your problem. Do you understand? In life, if you don't see the problem you have, you can't change it. So I had to accept that I have a problem here. What can I do now? And then I started to put all of my resources into the solution. I started focusing on what I can control, only I can control. And I started learning Russian so I could speak and communicate to my designated southpaw boxing coach who only had two words of English. So I started learning Russian so I could communicate with him and just learn the boxing language. Then I cleaned up my diet and I started to be first on the floor, last off the floor. I started to switch my attention to myself as opposed to the coaches who weren't picking me. I can't make them pick me. I can only focus on my own. And then I started to grow in the sparring and I started sparring sessions that were 80, 20, 70, 30 started to become 50-50 and I grew and then I got picked to fight and then I boxed against the, Itali uh, the Italians and I won and boxed in front of 10,000 people. It was absolutely crazy and it was just such a high. And of course, I went on and boxed David Oliver Joyce after that as well and kind of lost my way because there's an emotional thing with me and Davey. We're clubmates. We were, you know, there's a little bit of a, I let the emotions get the better of me. I felt like I was a better boxer than Davy Oliver. He's a better fighter than I am. But I fought him instead of boxing him. And then I moved on to the final. And they told me I'm going to box Lomachenko in the final. So I prepared for Vasily Lomachenko. I got selected. That shows you the growth that I made. They selected me to represent him in the final. And I trained for a few weeks knowing I was going to fight Lomachenko because that's who they put me, in, uh, that's who they put me down to fight. And then, of course, Lomachenko decided to weigh in on the first day and boxed against um uh i forget uh, actually, uh I, I forget the our, our guy one of our one of our good guys anyway really good lightweight uh, so vasily lomachenko boxed boxed him and then i boxed um the guy the big tall guy vasily's um I can't think of it. Facilis, I think his name is. So, he was coming down from 63.5 to 61 kilograms. 
and he was just an absolute giant, an absolute giant. Um, but look, it was an amazing experience. I fought hard, I fought well. And when I come home from Kazakhstan, I learned a hell of a lot about myself. And that gave me the confidence to kind of go back into education. I had to put boxing off because when I got back from Kazakhstan, I was 27 going on 28. I had two young boys. I had no work experience, no education. I, had not, I was not funded by the Sport Ireland anymore. I wasn't number one in Ireland anymore. And I was standing in the queue, signing on the door. And I said, this is not how life is supposed to be. I traveled the world. I represented my country. Yeah, I've won a lot. I've a lot of medals and all, but it's not doing anything for me. Um, this is not how, how I envisage my life to be. So I put boxing on the back burner, went back, sorted out my life, got a good education. And I was about to go for my degree in 2016 when I answered the call to, to, to come back and give the boxing one more crack and to, to have no regrets. And that, that, that's basically it. Well, you did, you did what you needed to do um, at the time, of course. And looking back on it, though, that WSB experience would have been the perfect springboard if all other things had been well to go into the pros because that's exactly what Usyk and, and Lomachenko and Gvozdik used it for post-2012. They decided, no, 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 we'll do a season of WSB, do the five threes, and then, you know, we can move even quicker than, um, than they probably would have done had they, had they not done that. So, Kenny... You you hung them up about the same time, didn't you, amateur wise? I think in two thousand and thirteen. I think that's when you you called it a day. But but your career was fill, fill us in with what happened with you then. I seemed to be around forever. Uh, you know, I was on the team from two thousand and one, right through till twenty thirteen. So it was a long, long time traveling the world and living out of a suitcase, and you know, just being on, on the road and just. It was the same thing year in, year out, year in, year out. And look, I'm blessed. I'm very lucky that I, I did get that, that, I suppose, that duration of international duty, like, for, the, for, for Ireland. There's only a handful, I think, that have, have lasted as long as I have. Um, but, you know, I'm, I'm very privileged to have, that, you know, to have the opportunity to, 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 to have a career that lasts so long. But like Eric, you know, I, I lost my first three All-Ireland finals. And uh, 11, 12, and 13 years of age, I was going to retire from boxing. That was it. Didn't feel I was good enough. Didn't feel I was strong enough. The sport wasn't for me. Um, I went back into the gym then, got back training, went on then to win 15 Irish titles after that. But, you know, I had bouts of, of the thoughts of retirement throughout my career. Because boxing, as Matt will know and Eric will know, it's, a, it's an awful hard sport. It's very, very unrewarding a lot of the time. You're in the gym and you're training, you're making weight and you're sparring and you have good spars, you have bad spars. You're getting on planes, you're getting off planes, you're living in suitcases. It's not a, a glamorous sport at all. Um, and it is a working class sport. You know, people from working class areas thrive in, in sports like boxing. Um, and that was for me, like, it was an outlet for me. Got to meet some wonderful people in, in the boxing circles right through my career. Um, and obviously then, you know, representing Ireland, the Europeans, Worlds and Olympic level was fantastic. But when the Olympic final was over, and the final bell rang, I dropped to my knees. And the first thought that came into my head was, what the fuck do I do now? And I do, I, I do say this regular in talks I give, you know. That was my first initial thought because I put all my eggs in the one basket. Like Eric, not really a fan of education. Wanted to be the best I could be in the boxing ring. By hook or by crook, I was sucked into the high performance and I wanted to do my best to try and qualify for the games, which I did. And getting to that point was amazing. Um, but then I said to myself, right, what do I do now? 
because that was, if you like, that was my Everest. I had scaled my Everest and that was it. My life was, was more or less finished then and that chapter of my life. And I had no backup plan. And that was a scary place to be for me because I had no no structure. I had no plan B. Um, and I come back to the country. This is a small country we live in, four and a half million people. When you come back with an Olympic medal, it's a big thing. Um, and I found it very hard to kind of fall back into place with all the intrusion, if you like, the media intrusion, people that I know very well wanting photos with me. I just couldn't handle the, the privacy intrusion. Um, and I drank on that, you know. Um, I said to myself, well, I'm going to win the medal here. I can take a few weeks off now and relax and enjoy myself. Party time. Uh, and a spoiled our control in that sense, you know. And I lost myself. Went into a dark place a few times. But luckily enough, I get out of that two years later. And I'm actually 10 years sober next week, which is a, a bigger milestone than any Olympic medal in, in my book. Good man, um, and that's an important thing for me, you know, because I do spread the word that recovery is possible because I'm, a, I'm, 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 I'm proof of it, you know. Yeah. But it's, 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 yeah, exactly. I'm, I'm, I'm a living example. But, you know, coming back from the games and having all that, that attention on you, it was amazing at the time, but it was great, but I couldn't handle it. And two years after I came back was when I did stop drinking because it was a, a bad road there for those two years. I went into some horrible, horrible places. But, you know, I had good people around me, I had good friends around me, a good family around me that got me out of that, that dark hole, you know. Um, and then I continued to box on then. I won two more senior titles after the games. That brought me up to 10. But I just didn't have that fight anymore. But I continued because... I, I had aspirations to go to, to London in 2012 and half me wanted to go pro and the other half didn't. And I was only talking about this the other day. I had the documentation in front of me on the table of a hotel in 2009 ready to sign a five-year contract with Joey Winters. Matt, you probably heard of him. He's based out in New York. Yeah. Multi, multi-millionaire Joey Winters. He's after signing Joe Ward. Yes, yes. Same Joey Winters. So he came looking for me and he sat down and he didn't, he, didn't, he didn't have any problem throwing any kind of money at me, you know? And I was thinking there. And deep down, I was thinking to myself, if I sign on this dotted line, I'm selling this guy a faulty fighter. Because I was, I was heavily drinking at the time. I was in a bad, bad place. And for me to sign on that line, dotted line and hand, 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 me, hand myself over to him, the half a fighter that I was, I could see myself turning into an absolute disaster over the next period of time based in America and, and, and the demons that I had. So I stepped away from the table and says, Joey, look, I, I can't actually sign this. I'm terribly sorry for wasting our time. And um, he didn't take it too bad. He said, thanks for your honesty and all that. And he, he left the hotel and he got back on his plane and he went home. And looking back, do I have any regrets on that? Looking back now, if I had I had the right frame of mind and the right mindset and didn't struggle with, with alcohol, I probably could have went on and been a decent pro, but Looking back now to where I am now, to what I have, you know, it beats any pro contract or anything because I'm genuinely very, very strong on my sobriety, which is everything to me. It's absolutely everything. And that allows me then to go back into the world as a functional human being and help people as best I can. But also the sporting end of it, getting back in to a taste of boxing, working with Eric is a, is a great opportunity for me to enjoy the sport again and have fun. And that's, what, that's exactly what we're doing. We're two friends. We have the crack, we have the banter, yeah. but when it's training time, we knuckle down, we get serious. And this is a journey the two of us are on here now. How far is it going to go? We don't know. But we're just going to enjoy it, you know, for as long as it lasts. Well, it's, it's great hearing the, 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 the stories about 
how you both got into it and what it's what it's meant for you, the ups and, and the ups and the downs of it. And I didn't know, obviously, what was going on in in your lives during in those years up to about 2013. Say, I'd read some bits, I could find out some bits, so I had had an idea. But I mean, Matt, from the outside looking in, and as you said, you were still following the amateur scene then then closely. Were you surprised in 2013 when they both hung up the gloves and it looked like two of Ireland's, you know, leading amateur lights from recent years, neither one of them was going to turn professional? I mean, within the game, if you like, people must have, that must have been pretty surprising, I'd have thought. Yeah, well, I think, I think if Kenny was going to go pro, it was probably after Beijing when he got the silver medal and he had massive... Mm. Profile. I think that would have been the time to go. He was going to go. I think when he didn't go then, and he waited till it was till two thirteen, he'd probably left it too late. He was he was an old man like myself then. I think Kenny's the same age as me. He said he was around from two thousand and one, and that was the same as me. I won the um, my first ever senior bout. Actually, was uh, an international bout. I boxed in the Norway Box Cup for England off the back of the World Junior Championships, which had been in Budapest uh, the November before, and then. Mm. I won the ABAs that year and turned pro in the November. Um, obviously, Kenny elected to stay amateur. So I'm just thinking 2008, he would have been, what, 27 probably at the time. So even then, he'd left it kind of late. But yeah, you know, yeah. how experienced he was as an amateur and how mature he was, he could have been fast-tracked, you know, and he had the, the WSB experience, which you, you, we, you talked about and we've talked about lots of times. And I didn't actually know Eric had boxed in those, but... You know, if you're boxing the World Series of Boxing, that's like probably cutting off two years of your pro career because you're boxing five three-minute rounds yeah. against top-class fighters, not journeymen. So you're you're probably two years already into your pro career at that point. But mm. um, no, I knew I, I would have known who Kenny was for a long time. I hadn't met him personally two years later, but it was been around the same age. And you know, you're you're still following the different championships and guys that I would have boxed amateur with, like you know, friends with since I was fifteen, like Paul Smith. Would know Kenny, I think, would have boxed in a couple of the same tournaments. And I think Tony Bell, you might have even have boxed as well with Kenny. So, yeah, when he when he won the... Um, and, of course, you know, I'm a plastic paddy, Andy. So, uh, <laughs> so when, 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 when Kenny won the, the silver medal, you know, everyone was very proud of him and he'd done so well. Um, and I remember him being out. I think he went out to New York for a bit after that as well. Right. I can't remember. But... Um, yeah, when I suppose when he didn't go that time, I kind of didn't think he was going to turn pro then. But with Eric taking a few years out, you know, going through the journey he's been on, and, you know, I'm going to say too much, but I've been on the same journey myself. And he's at a place where he obviously had unfinished business within boxing. And, you know, at 12 and 0 now, it's, um, I think, I know I don't want to go on fast track ahead. But we are going to talk about the fight with Alpha Barra, and I think it's coming at a perfect time for him. It's it's um, the journey he's been on. It's, it's funny he, he'll realise. And listening to Kenny talk as well, in life you can look too far ahead, you know, and it fills you with anxiety and fear, and mm. or you can be regret. We talked about regrets as well. You can be living in the past, and you, you're missing the the present, the moment, you know. And um, the, the two of them talking about taking it one day at a time and enjoying this ride, enjoying this journey where they're at and being happy and content and, and being excited by it and not looking too far ahead. And and, that, and that's a great thing to be. That's a great, if you can get to that place, that mindset where you are in the present moment living it, not only will you enjoy it, 
but you will perform better because you're not letting all the other bullshit, all the fears and the future projections, you know, drag you down or, or, or hinder you. I, I think, I, I don't know what way that fight's going to go because I think it's a real 50-50 type of fight. But I'm pretty sure Eric's going to perform to the best of his ability. And I know that the two lads are going to enjoy the whole build-up and everything that comes to it. And, you know, I know we're, we're going to talk a bit more, but I'm just going to say it now that I wish them both the very best of luck. Hey everybody, this is Moto G Pete from the Nokomoto Motorcycle Podcast. Join us every week while we rate, review, ride, philosophize, and generally obsess over every single motorcycle make, model, and style that could possibly exist, plus news and racing. That's the Nokomoto Motorcycle Podcast from Moto One Podcast Network Studios. Well, one of the main planks of, of recovery is, is the idea that you have to take things one day at a time it's an interesting gathering we've got here because uh i had to buy my season pass for the non-booze bus 10 years ago as well so <laughs> we're all we're all we're all in the same we're all in the same situation to that to that regard um but yeah i mean it's it's the one day at a time thing it just threw out throughout any kind of we could have gone a zoom meeting <laughs> 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 through, through any kind of journey that you're on i mean it's just it's just it's just a very valuable way to look at things isn't it because you just and as you say as athletes there is so much uncertainty and in boxing in particular you can multiply that uncertainty by a hundred particularly when you get into pro boxing and nothing is guaranteed you don't know when you're going to get fights you don't know whether anybody's going to want to fight you being good isn't enough Sometimes being good but not being able to sell tickets is absolutely the worst thing that you can be. That there are so many things that go in that go into it. Um, but I'm just curious. So, do you do you two remember the first time you met Eric? You first, and what you know what what happened? No, well, like I came on to the high performance team in 2013. I was only 17 years old. So, uh, sorry, not 2003. Um, Ken would have been. Ken would have kind of made his kind of mark on the elite as on the senior team at the 2001 World Championships at World Amateur Championships in Belfast. So I would have been watching him there. I would have been only 15. Actually, I was over in um, Liverpool at 15, winning a bronze medal in the European School Boys for Ireland. And when I got back, I was watching Kenneth and all the other Irish senior boxers in the World Championships in Belfast. I think David Hay got a silver medal in that. World Championships mm-hmm. as well. Um, and then two years later, I was obviously up on the team with him and uh, boxing in the Four Nations, which is the tournament that used to, used, to, used, to, used to happen and doesn't happen anymore. They were unbelievable tournaments. I won the Four Nations seniors as a junior. I was only 17, so it was a history-making thing. I beat a uh, Scottish boxer and I beat uh, England's Nick MacDonald in the final. Uh, I was only a junior and winning a four nation seniors was, was never done before by a, by, by a junior boxer. So it was a, that was a huge honor for me. And, and that kind of cemented my place then on the, on the senior team. And we just, like, as Ken said there, we just, we just gravitated towards each other. We personalities were very similar and uh, he was three years older than me, but like he, he was much a heavier weight. So he was kind of like, Ken was the kind of leading figure on the team. Everybody kind of looked up to him, but um we just became very close and we started rooming together then as well, many training camps. And um, as, as Ken say there as well, we, we trained very, very hard, but we played hard too. You know, when, when, when the time was done, 
Um, and I just I was reading a, I was reading a, an article on it on on the on the Sunday Times that I did today back home here in Ireland, and uh, I talk about having Kenny in my corner. We stood on podiums together. We stood on bar counters together. We fell under bar counters together, but it's just we're fighting. We're still we're winning at life, you know, and we're fighting the good fight in life today. And Ken doesn't overly. Um, complicate things he's one of the smartest southpaws most intelligent boxers in the world he was for over 10 years and he doesn't lose that so I'm very lucky to have that and to draw from that he sees things that I don't see in the ring and he he conveys it to me in a very simple way there is no negativity there is no shouting in your face he's been trained by some of the best boxers in 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 the world Billy Walsh who's the head coach now of the American boxing team Zorantia who is Ireland's head coach now, one of the best boxing brains in the business. So I know Ken has been taught by these guys. I've been taught by them too, but I can't be in the ring and outside the ring at the same time. But he's had the same education as me. And I want that. I want more of that. And Ken keeps reinforcing the stuff that we've learned for years and years. And he keeps reminding me of my skills, what I can do well, and the, you know, the things that will work well for me. And we need that. Sometimes it's repetition, 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 reinforcing, reinforcing the positive, the positive work, the positive skill, the fundamentals. And we're just loving it. We're living the, like we said, we're having the time of our lives. There is no pressure on us. We're just very happy and grateful to be here. And there's nothing better than walking into, um, this case, an empty arena <laughs> for the biggest opportunity in your in, in of your life and to be wholly ready for it and that's what we are we are ready for this Kelly how how different is it being in pro boxing than it was being in in amateur boxing because amateur boxing even at the highest level what people tell me is that the main difference is that when you're an amateur it's a sport you're in it for the love of the sport there, there is politics but Professional boxing is a business. It's an altogether different kind of ball game. Now, you met obviously as amateurs and you experienced all of that together. How different is the world of pro boxing to elite level amateur boxing? Like I think the organisation of it, it when I, the high performance was set up in 2004 was a big change in, in Irish boxing and Irish sport because I was around before and after the high performance was set up. So I've seen you know, the difference of the two setups and we were treated really well the high performance once you kept winning your, your national title you were part of the team you got your chance to represent Ireland all over the world and you know we started to get funding from the government and things were looking good for the high performance so much so that we didn't really have to do anything else but just turn up onto the floor and uh, train got fed there we, we got accommodation everything was sorted for us you know and I think that's a, it's a good team but it's a bad team because it's Kind of eliminates your your own independence. You go, you fall into it like a, a a pattern or a rook. But that went on for a long time. But you know everything is done for you in the high performance. So when you step out of that, and when I helped started helping Eric a couple of years ago, like you have to fend for yourself. And he can only do he can only beat the people that are put in front of him. So it's his promoter's job and his manager's job to get these opponents. And you know, not that he was fat, that he was fast tracked around, but we got to the stage where he was in limbo. And even even before this call out, thank God we did get this fight. But there wasn't really much happening for Eric. And um, you know, he was idle for, for a period of time and not knowing when his next paycheck was gonna come or his next his next fight. And that can be a hard hard thing for a fighter. Now lucky enough, 
he has other things going on in his life and me also. You know, I'm not just a boxing coach. Of a, of a few strings to me both, but that enables us not to panic and to allow ourselves to enjoy what we're doing. But lucky enough, him signing with Mark has gotten the opportunity to fight with, with Zelfa, which is fantastic. And we're very grateful for that, you know, and we're very humbled at the same time. So that, that allows us to step into the big time now. And for Eric, what he's been egging for for so long is to prove not only to himself, but to everyone else, how good he is, and that's he's going to get the opportunity this Friday night. And I just think it's 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 just a marvelous opportunity for him. So, Eric, in terms of what brought you back, what was it exactly? Because I know that you kept in shape, uh, and as you said, you had other things that you had to deal with that were more important than boxing at the time. Around 2013, you had to you had to turn things around, and then from what I read, you were you were looking at. At fighters, very good fighters, and and um, you know it wasn't in any way meant with any disrespect. But you were looking at Anthony Crawler and Terry Flanagan winning world titles, and, and you're sitting at home on your couch, maybe thinking, "They're no better than me. I could, you know, we're all very good. I, I'm as good as them." Was was was, and then then you then you got you just got the the bug back again, I guess, did you? Yeah, because like I'm a boxing fan first and foremost, you know, and I, I work as an analyst for um, the national broadcaster here, RTE. So um, I've always been studying boxing and always watching boxing. And then even through my period of retirement, I was keeping up a bit of a little bit of sparring. And, and obviously I was keeping myself fit, but I wasn't competing anymore. The com- competition was gone. But um, I was always watching boxing and I, I'm fascinated with boxing and passionate about boxing. And I would have been looking at the likes of Crawler and, and Flanagan and, you know, Derek Matthews and all these guys and even Stephen Ormond back home here. And, you know, and just just thinking to myself, maybe, you know, Martin Lindsay was a, was professional at that time and he was doing well, British champion, I think. And I was just thinking, you know, I could maybe compete with these guys. Like, I don't see them having anything that I don't have you know maybe if I started to work harder though or like maybe if I maybe they're working maybe they've worked a lot harder than I did during my career um but definitely in terms of skill and boxing IQ intelligence and everything like that I I mean I think I trumped them I think I trumped most boxers and then especially in my weight category anyway and that was it it was just that kind of lower and kind of you know and then you then you'd kind of brush it off and say ah you know forget about but it used to keep coming back and back and back and it was always about this this strong overriding emotion of and 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 thought pattern that used to just keep going what if you've done this what if you've done that and then the worst part was when i met people who'd say jesus eric you've changed your life around now you're doing really well imagine you'd done that a few years ago you would have done this or you would have won that and that used to really annoy me as well because people is just adding insult to injury because first of all they're telling me I'm doing really well you know I'm looking great and I'm doing well and I'm looking fresh imagine what you could have won it's like the old bully's prize you know here's what you could have won you know? <laughs> but um so it was it was all a combination of all those things and I just said hey the 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 kind of conclusion that I came to was I'm 30 years old I've not really took any punishment during my career, any punishment that I have taken was outside of the ring, the punishment that I've inflicted on my own self through drinking drugs and whatever. But in the ring, I very rarely took a hiding, ever. And um, I said, I'm, I'm 30 years old. Maybe I can get fit. You know, I have an education now to fall back on. You know, I have a new mindset. I'm, I'm, the shackles are off. I'm free from addiction. Let's go and have fun. 
And that was it. And I started training. I started to get, I was about 70 kilos. And then I, I, I boxed lightweight for my first fight. And then I moved down to the super, super featherweight. And then the weight was just falling off me. And then I won the Irish title at featherweight. And I can make featherweight easy now. Um, sorry, I, cannot, I can make super featherweight easy enough. But featherweight is a, bit, is, is, is a bit of a struggle. But I can still do it. If there was ever a big fight offered between featherweight or super feather, I'd make those fights. And that is it. I just wanted to kind of go out with a bang and to be able to say at the end of my career, when I do hang up the gloves, to not have that kind of, you know, that, oh, what if this or what if that? I just don't want to have that. I just want to say, I've done it. I came back. I rectified the mistakes and I'm happy out. I've done it the best of my ability, 100% as an honest, hardworking, true man, true to my own self. And that's it. And I know I'll be contented then for the rest of my life. Yo, I'm DK, co-host of the One Star Recruits podcast. My best friend Rip and I host five-star athletes, celebs, business leaders, comedians, and coaches from around the world. Each week, I can guarantee the show will always have great laughs, catch up on life's in relatable ways, and have a ton of fun. We're recruiting you. We are the One Stars, which means we can ask the questions that no other podcast asks to guests like Joey Chestnut, Evander Holyfield, Bobby Hurley, Jenny Finch, Ryan Lochte, Montel Jordan, New guests every week, compelling interviews that you want to hear. Check us out wherever you get podcasts, One Star Recruits. So you turn professional and then, of course, the politics of professional boxing start to play a part. It's difficult to get the fights that you want. It's difficult to move as quickly as you want to move, although you did move quickly still. You are without the backing of a of a big promoter. You're you're very high risk, and for a lot of these bigger names that I'm sure you would have loved to have fight, you are low reward. And so you signed with Mark Dunlop uh, earlier this year. Now Mark manages James Tennyson, Tommy McCarthy, uh, Paul Highland, and we've seen what he's done with them over the last couple of years. He's get, getting them opportunities, and he's got you this opportunity. And Matt, what we were talking about this the other day, what? I give Zelfa Barrett credit for taking this fight because, as I say, Eric, he is high risk, he's low reward. And there are there are pluses for, from the spell out and from not really being tested for the last few years, as in no miles on the clock, and he outlined those. There are minuses as well because he's not really had to kind of gut it out for, for a while now and... You know, of course, he'll be very confident that he can still do that. But but that's something that Team Barrett would look at. But from Zelfa's point of view, this is his first fight with Matchroom since signing with them. And when I saw the match made, I did just look at it uh, and my eyes were drawn to it straight away because I just thought, wow, like why, why would you choose in your first fight under a new promoter on what is going to be a big stage, no crowd, but big stage still, to take on... Uh, a technically highly skilled Southpaw who you know you know and highly skilled Southpaws. No, they're, they're they're presidents of the who need him who needs him club really. They, it is, but it's also you've got to remember of the current climate we're in with coronavirus. Where people want to be active, they want to fight. There's a fight camp series. There's only so many slots. If you want to be on that card, you've got to go into a 50-50 fight or you know a very competitive fight. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Zalfa Barrett can't match Eric Donovan for amateur pedigree experience in that regard. 
But in terms of he's more seasoned as a professional, you know, he's been fought 12 rounds, he's been in schedule, probably, you know, been in harder fights. He's had twice as many fights as a professional. So he's more seasoned as a professional. And he'll be, his team will be thinking, he's a good amateur, he's a southpaw, he'll be slick, he'll be sharp for a few rounds. Once we get him into the second half of the fight, we can keep that pace on him. We can, you know, make it rough and tough in there. He's never been there, which Eric hasn't been there as a professional yet. That doesn't mean he can't go there, but he just hasn't been there yet. So I'd imagine that Zalpha Barrett fancy their chances. They'll, they'll, they'll think that, you know, with a younger man, I think, is he 24 years old, Zalpha Barrett? You know, he's nearly 27. 10 years old. I don't? 27. 27. So, you know, he's younger, but he's, not, he's mature as well. Um, and he's more seasoned as a professional. That's, that's just a fact, the way it's gone. But Eric has experience from the amateurs. He boxed in the World Series of Boxing too. And as you said, Andy, you know, if you box in the World Series of Boxing, they're five three-minute five, three rounds, no head guards against top-class fighters, not journeymen. You know, so you're, you're already two years into your professional career if you've had a few of those. So, like I said, this is one of the matchups. When, you get the, when I got the schedule of the fights that we were looking at, this is the one that I was more intrigued about because I was thinking, hmm, this is, this is definitely a... This is probably more of a 50-50 fight than most boxing fans in Britain say. No, because they're probably not as aware of who Eric Donovan is and what he's done in boxing. So I think this is a great fight. This is a, you know, this is one that, like you say, you could make you could make a strong argument for Zalpa Barra and you could make a strong argument for Eric Donovan, and that's why that's why it's a great fight. Kenny, with with uh, with your hat on as the trainer, what were your thoughts when when this was first? Offered, and what what are your thoughts now? Just a few days out, like it's a fantastic opportunity for Eric first and foremost, you know. And there's no reason why he should turn it down. Um, he's been waiting for something like this to happen for the last number of months, and it's it's a blessing in disguise. He's been training all along. He he hasn't taken a break, so it's not as if he's coming into a camp two stone overweight and unfit. You know, he's been always been tipping away. He knows that himself, so he'll have that psychological factor known that he's in the best shape of his life, which he is. He's in super shape. Never, ever have I ever questioned his, his condition or his fitness or his stamina. That's one thing Eric has always had, right through his amateur career to his senior or his, his, his pro career. Um, and his work ethic, he puts everything into every session. So I'm not there with a big stick telling him to work harder or to train harder or hit the bag harder. He does all that himself. If we get our game plan right, this is a fantastic opportunity for Eric to show how good he is against Zelda. Now Zelda is the younger lad He's the bigger lad. Uh, he's the matchroom signing who needs to win this fight. He needs to win this fight for Eddie Ahern. Eddie Ahern, I'm sure, has invested in him. So the pressure is on Zelta to go out there and perform. We just have to go there, stick to our game plan, and just enjoy the night of boxing. And that's what we're going to do. We're going to be smiling, we're going to be happy, and we're just going to enjoy the, the journey. Okay, so I'm going to move on to something a little bit Unexpected, possibly, but um, the reason is that uh, given that we we are all together on this Zoom call, and as we touched on earlier on, uh, we've all had our we've all had our our struggles and issues, possibly with uh, well, not possibly uh, factually with with uh, with certain substances at times. Something I've always been curious to ask um, athletes who have had those ups and downs, and you know, you could get into it as 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 deep or as, as, as shallow as, as you like, is basically, do you think uh, that athletes, due to the kind of obsessive-compulsive nature of what you do for a living, 
are more prone to suffer from addiction problems than your more normal, if you like, person in the street. Because it's just something that I've always kind of wondered about. Because boxing particularly is a very solitary existence. And you have to be totally focused and obsessed on what you're doing to the point where it seems to me it would be easy to develop that kind of blinkered approach to almost anything. I'm not an athlete, you see. I don't I don't I haven't walked that path that you've walked, so I don't even know if this really makes any sense. But I've just always been interested to ask it, so Well, I I tell you, I just my my personal views is I think individual individual sports athletes probably are more prone to it because the highs are high on an individual basis. You spend a lot of time on your own. The lows are very low. That's why I want to encourage my two boys to get into team sports because I think team sports are really, really good and positive for camaraderie, for the social aspect, just the, the whole togetherness, you know. Um, like, you know, there was times where I was self-destructing outside of box, outside of the boxing ring. And I used to say to myself, this is funny, you know, um, because I'd, I'd, I would then give up all of that because I'd be training for a big championships or a, a, an elite a senior championships or a multi-nations or whatever. And I'd go into my boxing bubble. But in a way, that's self-destructing too because you're denying yourself food. You're getting punches in the head and the body. And so... You're self-destructing outside of the ring through drink and drugs and substances. And then when you put them away, you're going into a boxing gym, you're still self-destructing because you're putting your body on through the mill and you're sparring and you're taking punches. So, but anyway, I think there's probably some truth in that. But for me, it's more about underlying issues. Like, why did I drink? Why did I drug? Why did I, why did I get involved in addiction? What was that doing for me? That was fulfilling a void for me. But what was wrong with that void? I had to go there. I had to go and look at that. Because the drink and the drugs is just a temporary thing. It's just a temporary high. That's the masking tape over real problems, real issues. And once I was able to kind of unravel the emotional turmoil that was going on for me and and make sense of these strong, overwhelming thoughts dark thoughts and and maybe like views or whatever that I had that my mind my thinking was skewed you know at times once I was able to unravel all of that then I realized that I don't need to paint over the cracks I don't need crutches to get through life I have all of the ingredients inside me already and I have all of the supports around me I can use these these are strong healthy organic real supports i don't need to abuse myself anymore and that's it and that's the route to 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 your freedom but like again it goes back to the boxing problem i had in kazakhstan if people don't see people in addiction if they don't see they have a problem they can't do anything about it you understand so once i realized i have a problem I had to understand the problem, learn about the problem. Why is that a problem? Why am I doing the things I'm doing? Why am I feeling the way I'm feeling? Why am I thinking the way I'm thinking? Why am I acting the way I'm acting? When you start to learn why you do that, then you can put an alternative in place. And that's it. I think what I was 
Yeah, that's a very interesting answer. I think what I was kind of thinking, where I was coming from with it really, was that something like boxing and any individual sport is it's so all-consuming. You've got to be all the way in or all the way out. You've got to be completely committed or don't bother at all. And I just wondered, I guess, whether that mindset just spills into other other areas of your life. So whatever it is you're doing, you're just all the way in or all the way out. And it wouldn't necessarily be, it could be cooking. You could get into cooking and my, just become... Uh, I, I hear you. My fiancé tells me I'm an obsessive. I'm proper. I'm all in. I'm all in or I'm all out. Whatever it is, I'm boom. The full Monty. Yeah, like, you know, it's the whole... The whole shebang we say over here. So um, yeah, probably have that. I probably do have that obsessive compulsive um, personality. Yeah, definitely. I mean, is that pretty common with 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 athletes? Do you think, Kenny? I think it's interesting, Eric's Eric's thoughts on it. And like, I'd probably vary a little, slight, slightly off. Like addiction, it doesn't discriminate. You know, as you mentioned yourself, you, you know, it goes across all aspects of people, different sports, different. Uh, Workforces, it doesn't discriminate and affects affects everybody. And there's only a select few sports people or athletes that would open up and and and, and disclose what has went on in their lives in relation to addiction. Um, obviously, me being one of them, and Eric as well is very is very vocal. But there's lots of athletes that are are keeping it anonymous, which is fair enough. That's their right to keep whatever happened, their struggles anonymous. Um, but there's a lot of shame around and stigma around addiction and mental health and that keeps a lot of people cocooned if you like in a, in a bubble that they don't want to step out of in case they get judged <clears throat> excuse me but I got over that hurdle fairly fairly fast because I knew I had a problem and I addressed it and I was very vocal about it and it was the best thing I, I ever did was to, to admit that I was powerless um, and come clean and, and, and get the help that I needed but there's a lot of people out there that are afraid to take that step because they feel they're going to be judged. And there's a shame element around that. But I think addiction doesn't, it doesn't discriminate. It's not just athletes. It's not individual athletes or team athletes. It goes right across the board and all workforce. Um, but I just think it's good. And I think it's, it's a good thing that myself and Eric are open about it. Um, and, and, you know, like, there is a life after recovery. You know, recovery goes on and like you're only an athlete for an X amount of, an X amount of years. A small window in your life um, and it's what you do after that then is just as important you know like I'm going to be on the planet for another god knows how many years so it's important that I don't just be uh, labelled as a, as a boxer you know when more, there's more to Kenny Egan than just being a boxer uh, that was a past life a previous life um, and I'm reinventing myself every day when I get up out of bed in the morning I start the day off I tell myself I'm a good person because I go through that day not wanting to harm anybody I do the right thing on a daily basis. That keeps me sober. And my sobriety, as I said earlier, is more important than anything else in this world. Once I keep that sobriety, I'm, I'm, I'm winning. I, I'm a winner, you know? Matt, just to, just to pick up on something that, that, that Eric mentioned, which I think is, um, is really interesting, and that's the kind of differentiation between individual sports and, and team sports and how he'd encourage his two boys to play team sports from your experience of being an individual athlete I mean that kind of makes sense to me to be honest that that maybe if you're in the confines of a team it's not quite maybe the highs aren't quite so high but maybe they are but I would have thought that the lows just wouldn't be as low 
No, the lows definitely aren't as low. I played a lot of sport. Even, you know, boxing really, for me, got more serious at kind of probably 17, 16, 17. I mean, when, when I say more serious, I put everything into it. But because I was doing so many other sports, I was probably boxing two nights a week. Do you know what I mean? Where you know, I was playing football, I was playing Gaelic football, hurling, uh, rugby at school as well. I was, I was I'm constantly playing sport. And of course, in team sports, there's great camaraderie. There's the crack. You're training with lads. There's, do you know what I mean? There's, if you lose, yeah, you're gutted, but it, the loss is shared as a team. And if you win, it's unbelievable. And you're in the team, team spirit. You're all on this high. But you might, you might have won the game, but you might have played shite. <laughs> do you know what I mean? So you're kind of happy, but you're a bit gutted with your own performance. But what got me with boxing, and I think it was why I was probably went that way with it. It was. You know, boxing's the heroine of sports. You know, I remember boxing. I remember winning a, 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 cup, a cup final. I got a hat trick and I was man of the match and I was buzzing. I was absolutely delighted. And everyone was there, my family, friends watching this match. But I remember boxing on a, on a Wednesday night at probably at half 11 at night on a dinner show in the arsehole end of the black country somewhere. There was nobody there, only my club coach. And I think the secretary of the club was handing up in the corner. And I won the fight. And I was on way more of a high that mm. night winning that club bout that no one's seen than getting scoring the hat trick and becoming man of the match in the cup final where loads of people are at. That that I suppose it's the fear of losing, the nerves in your stomach, feeling sick, then going in there. I think the high is part relief, <laughs> part relief mm. that you've won that you haven't lost. I think that adds to the high. But and and then you know paradoxically losing. When I lose in, an, in a similar situation, I was devastated, devastated, like nowhere near as, I felt 10 times as low as what I felt uh, it would have lost the cup final and if I scored an own goal, do you know what I mean? Like literally the height, the, the spectrum of the high and the low is just massive. I mean, they're mm. worlds apart. And it, it, it's quite mad, really, when you think, well, why would we put ourselves through it when really it's a two-horse race? You've got a 50% chance of feeling that devastating low. Yet we, yeah. yet we roll the dice time and time again. And we, must, we must be sadists or something to go into boxing, <laughs> you know. But, and the reason why we do it is because the high is unbelievable and we want to feel that high. That feeling when you win a fight, whether that's a club bout like or, or whatever, it's, 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 it, unless you're a boxer that's felt it, you can't explain it. You know, and I suppose that's why we risk feeling the low because the high is so great. Well, I think that's the I think that's the perfect place to to leave it. It's been great fun. This really good to get you both on, uh, and thanks for bearing with me halfway through. Basically, what I do with this uh, with this podcast is now we're doing it on Zoom. After forty minutes, I have to drop the line and get whoever's. Uh, agree to come on as a guest to to come back in on the same invite because I'm too tight to pay for the upgrade right. package uh, <laughs> uh, and I don't mind admitting it you know we, we we don't get paid for this we're not bothered about not getting paid for it we do this purely for the for the fun of it but I'm not made of money um so anyway that, that brings <laughs> anyway thanks very much Kenny Eric this has been great um we will see you it's me and Matt um uh, on commentary on on Friday, we'll see you uh, at the fight. And very best of of luck to the to, to the pair of you. Um, it should be a good one. It really, really should. Everybody else, thanks for listening. Hope you're well. Hope you're enjoying the the glorious, glorious weather, and that this has given you a, a good 
a good taster, um, a good reason to tune in, to tune in on Friday and see how it all goes down. Uh, we'll catch you again next time. And old Lucy Brown, yes, that line falls on the right, babe, not that Maggie's back in Podcast Network. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.